You know, on Mother's Day, you can't help but think about your life and the things that you've learned from your mom, you know, good and bad. They make an impact. And as you age, then you look back and you realize you find yourself doing something and you realize that you're doing exactly what you saw your mom do. You know, mothers are nurturers, they're shepherds, they love, they take care, they have hearts of compassion. And God knew that kids needed a mom in their life. God could have brought Jesus on the earth any way he wanted. It was already miraculous what the plan he had was. But he said it's Jesus needs to have a mom. And he picked a very special woman that we're going to look at today and learn a few things from her. We're going to learn life lessons from Mary. And we're going to start over in Luke chapter 1. And Mary gets a personal counseling appointment with an angel, Gabriel. And in verse 28, it says the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. You know, I would venture a guess that anything the angel said, you might feel that about. It'd be terrifying It was not a scary message at this point. It was just positive. You're highly favored. The Lord is with you. But if the angel is going to tell me something, that would be a really great starting point. The angel said, do not be afraid. You found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you're to give him the name Jesus. He'll be great and will be called son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. So here's the message. Mary, you're going to have a son. He's going to be awesome. We're going to call him God. Now, we all have great visions for our kids. Remember uh, hearing a comedian talking about becoming a parent. And he goes, you know, parents, he goes, you have nightmares. Then you become a parent and you have different nightmares. You know, and one night you have this dream and you see your son or your daughter going, yes, I'd like to thank the Nobel Academy. And then the next night you have a dream and your 30-year-old child saying, would you like fries with that? And he says, you know, as a parent, you just never know what their life's going to be like. And here's the angel that says, hey, Mary, you're going to have a son. He's going to be pretty awesome. He's going to be great. Son of the Most High is what we're going to call him. Just incredible message. You think, what, were, what was going through her mind and her heart at that point? She says, well, how will this be? 
I'm a virgin. The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Which brings us to point number one. Mary obeyed through the craziness. We cannot even begin to imagine what it took for those words to be uttered. I am the Lord's servant. May it be as you have said. What humility. What faith. What an incredible heart. You, you read that response and you go, I see why God chose her. Say, so what was at stake? Well, she was pledged to be married to Joseph. You know, now she was going to have to explain to everyone around when the baby bump started showing. You guys need to understand, I'm a virgin. Uh-huh. Wait, how are you pregnant? Oh, the Holy Spirit. You think you have good DNA. That's some pretty good DNA right there. She was about to become a social outcast. She was to lose a relationship with Joseph. Women had very limited status in society at that point. Everything was at risk. It was a crazy command from an angel. And Mary heard what the angel said. And her response was, okay. May it be to me as you have said. You know, God has amazing plans for each one of you. But every once in a while, in the process to achieve all that God has in mind, an angel comes. Oh, maybe it's not an angel. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's your friend. Maybe it's one of your family members. Maybe it's a verse you read in His Word. And there's a message for you. And you hear it, and your first thought is, this is the craziest expectation I've ever heard. You know, sometimes we go, okay, if God really knew what I was going through right now, He wouldn't ask this, because this is really hard. You know, sometimes we think, Hey, you know, Christianity, that's really awesome as long as I don't have to do this. You know, God already knows what the this is that you're thinking about right now. And God has a way of just picking that battle. You know, maybe Mary earlier in the day had this prayer, God, I just want to I just want to serve you. I just want to love you all the days of my life. 
but I just want to make sure that I'm secure, that I'm taken care of with Joseph. He's a good man, that I fit in well with society. And Gabriel says, okay, well, we're going to have to risk all that. You know, I remember a time, Michael, our son who just shared, was, I think, about eight months old, and he got the croup. And if you're not sure what the croup is, it's, it's really just kind of a cold. But the problem is when you're little, your windpipes swell, and they swell outward, but they swell inward. And so you get to the point where they have a really distinctive bark, and it sounds like a seal barking. And I remember hearing about that, and I'm like, oh, yeah, seal barking. Somebody's really embellishing it. But we heard the seal bark with Michael. So we called a nurse friend of ours. She said, well, get him in the, the bathroom and just get the hot water going and hopefully the steam will break it up. And if that doesn't work, take him outside. We we're in Canada at the time where it's cold and maybe that'll help shrink it. And if that doesn't change it, then you need to get to the doctor. Well, it got worse and worse. And so we ended up having to take him to ER in the middle of the night. And they're like, yep, he definitely has the croup. But don't worry. You'll be in and out of here at most for a day. He was in uh, pediatric uh, ICU for 11 and a half days. And he was, you know, so here, he's this baby. We can't talk. Um, and he had to be in this croup tent, which I don't know what the modern versions of the croup tent are. But back then, it was just kind of this plastic walled little structure in this little bed. And, you know, they would put extra oxygen in there and really moist air and all kinds of stuff. And they said, you can't take him out. But Cheryl's like, well, I want to be able to hold him. And she's like, you can't take him out. So what Cheryl did is she just climbed in the croup tent. So she just rolled up with him in this little tent thing and just held him. So that way, you know, the treatment continued and she was just there. I never got in the croup tent with Michael. I would sing to him and I would, you know, hold his hand and do different things. But of course, you know, at eight months old, it's not like you can explain what's going on. Uh, so it was a traumatic time. But, but I remember sitting there, I'm like, babe, what are you doing? She goes, well, I'm going to get in the tent with him. And I'm like, well, I don't think you're supposed to do that. I think that's supposed to be for him. And she said, well, they just said we can't take him out, but I want to be with him. <laughs> Nurse came in, saw it, didn't have a problem with it, so we went with it. So she obeyed the rules, but she got on in the croup tent with him. You know, and it's, it's just one of those things... Of every day we're faced with situations where God can make a crazy request of you. And sometimes you think, I want to do this. I want to get to a good place. I want to change my life. And God says, good, here's what you need to do. And too often, unlike Mary, we go, well, I don't think so. I got different plans. 
I mean, can you imagine if, if Gabriel said, for nothing is impossible with God? And she said, eh, I pass. Get someone else to do it. You'd been, well, that's a really discouraging story. You know, some of us have hit the same wall again and again and again because God is commanding you to make a change. And you got a lot riding on it. And you're risking everything. And you've not re- yet reached the point Mary did where you say, I'm the Lord's servant. You know, to be a Christian, Jesus must be Lord of your life. And to say Jesus is Lord, that's not just a, a fancy religious phrase that sounds cool. That means Jesus is Lord of every aspect of my life. That means he's in charge. He's in control. I will do what he says in every single area of my life. That's Jesus is Lord. And there's no other way to be a Christian. She can't say, I want to be a Christian, but he can't mess with my time. I want to be a Christian, but he can't mess with my money. I want to be a Christian, but he can't mess with my relationships or my dreams or my hobbies. You just can't be a Christian any other way than Jesus being Lord of your life. And every single one of us, if we're going to live out the life God wants for us, is going to have to, like Mary say, may it be as you've said, I am the Lord's servant. Say, whatever you're wrestling with right now, draw encouragement from Mary. A young lady, she risked everything to provide a Savior for you and I. Second thing I want to look at, go over to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. Read about a wedding in Cana. It says, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. I love that. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everybody brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. Now, there's a lot of really cool stuff about this. One of the things I love when it comes to Mary's involvement, she wasn't You know, like the mom of the groom or the bride. She was just an attendee. 
But with the heart of a mom is they care about the situation and they want everything to go great. They want a party to go great. They want, you know, your family to go great. Moms just shepherd. And they have bionic ears so that they can be engaged in a conversation here and listen to what's going on in the other room. And also be aware of if silence has gone on too long upstairs in the kid's bedroom. Because noise is trackable. Silence means something's going on. But so here's Mary. She's just an attendee at the wedding. And she's like, "Uh uh-oh. They're out of wine. Mary's like, I got an idea. And this is point number two. Mary made Jesus fix it. We sing the song, Jesus, he will fix it. You know that one? Uh Uh-huh. Mary started the whole trend. She's like, hey, son, they're out of wine. (laughs) Why do you involve me? She just looks at the servants. Do what he says. Say, what was, what was her plan? What was her expectation? She said, I don't know how. I don't know what the mechanism is going to be. But he will fix it. Said, you know what? Just do what he says. Now, later... As we read, it says this was the first of his miraculous signs. So it wasn't like Mary had witnessed all these other miracles and said, well, I've seen him do this and this and this, so I bet he could create wine. You know, she just had that faith that Jesus could do something to fix it. And I love Jesus. You know, if you're going to make wine... Jesus did not make, you know, like 150 gallons of two-buck chuck. I mean, he made 150 gallons of Opus One. He, he made the good stuff. And the disciples were fired up. And it says, and they put their faith in him. Mary was just overseeing, just looking. She was just shepherding. And she said, I see a problem. Okay, I don't know what to do. Jesus is going to fix it. So how do you handle problems in your life? At what stage of the game do you get Jesus involved? You know, how would it have read? We had a problem and we went to every store we could think of and they were all out or they were closed. Or then I researched it and I read all of the books on the bestseller list of what to do if you're at a wedding and you run out of wine. And I researched it. No, Mary said, just do whatever he tells you. For her, it was a simple faith. Hey, I don't know what to do, but he does. Just do what he tells you. 
So how many problems have we made worse in our life by trying to fix it ourselves? And usually when we're in that, those moments we're frustrated and logic just isn't in there at all. Because if it was, we would be able to clearly think through something as simple as, wait, I used my best abilities and I got myself into this trouble. What logical reason would I think that I could get myself out of it? No, we just feel, I got to work harder. I got to be smarter. Not Mary. She just said, do whatever he tells you. So what is it that you're working on right now? Where you need to get Jesus involved in the equation and say, Jesus, I need you to fix this. I am done trying to fix it on my own. I need you to fix it. Just what what do I need to do? Now, Jesus just wasn't complicated. When he gets involved, it's just like, okay, here's what you need to do. And he makes it clear. Too often, you know, we have hit a wall again and again and again. And so the thought of a simple answer, we go, oh, that's really easy for you to say. What if you were one of the servants and, and we're out of wine and you're, you're freaking out at the wedding. And he goes, well, just fill them up with water. Well, what good is that going to do? Oh, easy for you to say, Jesus, fill it up with water. Oh, yeah, that's really going to help solve our problem. Thanks, Jesus. Could have done that myself. No, they did it. And it solved their situation. Jesus can work all kinds of miracles in your life. Go, yeah, but I haven't seen it yet. Neither had Mary. But she knew enough to say, do whatever he tells you. You and I can draw courage from what Mary did and respond in the same way. Get Jesus involved right now in the fixing process of your life. Let's move on a little later in the book of John chapter 19. Jesus is on the cross. They're gambling for his clothes. And in verse 25, it says, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. You know, Jesus took care of his mom. He had John take care of her. But what impressed me here was the heart of Mary. That she went to the cross. There wasn't anything she could do to fix it. But she was there. I was talking this morning with my mom. Wish her a happy Mother's Day. And I was talking to her about the early days of my life and Mike's life too. And uh, we were born May 24th. Two pounds, 11 ounces for me and three point three pounds, two ounces for Mike. And mom said, I did not get to touch you 
until July 11th. She said, you're in an incubator, and I was not allowed to hold you. I couldn't, I couldn't be around you. But she said, every day I would come, and I would just look at the both of you through the window. And that's all I could do. She said, I wanted to be close. I wanted to be near. I wanted to hold you. But I didn't get to hold you until six weeks after you were born. You think, that's the heart of a mom. She'd go and visit every day. But it didn't change our lives any. We didn't know she was there. But the heart of a mom is, I, I want to go and, and be there. I want to be a part of it. I can't do anything about it. And it's hard to watch. But I love my kids. You know, the cross... Jesus already went there, but each one of us has our own cross. And when the cross comes our way, whatever form it takes, there's just not anything you can do about it. And you're either going to run to the cross or you're going to run from it. So how are you wired? You see, the heart of a mom is not, oh, I can't bear it. It's like, I don't want it. But I want to be there to support the situation. Our life depends upon whether or not we're willing to go to the cross. And there's people's lives that know us and love us whose future depends on whether or not we're willing to go to our cross. They're watching us. They want to see the commitment we have. They want to see the sacrifice that we're willing to make. They're looking at our values. They're looking at our obedience to the Word of God. They want to see how we function. They want to see how we handle ourselves through the tough times. And they're going to learn what their future holds based upon your cross. Every single one of us is here because somebody else went to the cross. All of us are here because Jesus went to the cross. But God has used people in every single one of our lives. You know, sometimes as a minister, people go, well, I think you could just figure out salvation on your own. Do you realize that's just not in the plan of salvation? Nobody became a Christian on their own. Even Saul. He had a personal counseling time with Jesus. But when the question got asked, what, what shall I do, Lord? He goes, go to Ananias. He'll tell you. Jesus could have just told him right then and there. But God says, no. People are going to be involved in your salvation process. We're not going to make it on our own. We've got to be connected through people. Say, Mary went to the cross. She suffered 
And she sacrificed. As she saw her son die a torturous death just to say, I'm with you. And each one of us have a cross to bear. And I pray like Mary, we will run to it. Not away from it. The final thing I want to look at, Mary, go over to Acts chapter 1. Jesus has been raised from the dead. He told his disciples, go to Jerusalem and stay there until God pours out this really amazing gift. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from a hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. It says Peter was among the believers, a group numbering about 120. You know, I love the fact that the Bible let us know. It said Mary made it, and her son has been crucified. He's been resurrected from the dead. And they said, hey, tell the believers, stay in Jerusalem. And she's there praying. Why? Because the final thing I see about Mary is she wanted to continue her son's legacy. She wanted his life to count for something. Isn't that every parent's dream? You know, moms believe in their kids. They see the good. They got the vision of where they can go. And here's Mary. A little earlier, we saw her at the foot of the cross watching the, the horrible death. And now she's praying with the disciples. You know, a little earlier in Mary's life, when Jesus began his ministry, in Mark 3, she went down to take charge of him and said, he's out of his mind. And every parent knows that at times you look at your kids and you go, they are definitely crazy. But Mary responded. And Mary wanted to pass on the legacy of her son. Say, so if the entire future impact of Christianity depended on you, what legacy would be left of Jesus? Now, it's awesome to have a great sized church family, but you know what the danger is? Is we can attend and go, well, I just hope everybody else passes on the legacy. I mean, if I don't, it's really not going to be that big of a deal because, I mean, look around. There's 250 people in here. Somebody will do it. And we can stop taking responsibility to pass the message on. Each one of us has a role to play in the future legacy of Jesus. We need to be praying. We need to have a vision of what God's going to do so that his life lives on and on to the impact of our hearts. And we learn that from Mary. You know, Mary was an awesome mom. She was not perfect. 
But she had an incredible heart. She had the humility to obey through the craziness. She had the faith to make Jesus fix it. She ran to the cross instead of away from it. And she wanted to carry forth his legacy. I pray that each one of us, as we go from here, as we celebrate Mother's Day together, we'll think about Mary and her heart, and we'll be challenged and encouraged to imitate in our own life as we pass on the legacy of Jesus from here. Let's stand as we close in a final song.